0: Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. You are listening to the Faces of TBI podcast series, and this episode is brought to you by MFNC Brain Rehabilitation, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of chiropractic neurologists who are experienced in treating conditions such as post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities, and you can find them online at mnconcussion.com. Hello everyone, I am Amy Zellmer and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about brain injury one podcast at a time. For those of you who may not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, in November of 2015. You can learn more about me at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Now, today for my guest, I'm very excited to introduce to you Cindy Fiesel, and Cindy was married for 29 years to NFL lineman Grant Fiesel, who was discovered after his death to have developed CTE, a progressive degenerative brain disease. from the the concussions that he received received playing football. As an art teacher in Fort Worth, Texas, Cindy is committed to raising awareness of CTE and the dangers of repetitive head injury. Her soon-to-be-released book, After the Cheering Stops, An NFL Wife's Concussions, Loss, and the Faith That Saw Her Through, tells a tragic story of her family's journey into chaos and darkness resulting from the damage her husband suffered due to football-related concussions and head trauma and the faith that saved her. So welcome to the show, Cindy. I am just so thrilled to have you here with us today. Thank you, Amy. So Cindy, why don't you give our listeners um, you know, just the brief history of who you are and how you came to write this book?
1: Hey, well,
0: I was like you said.
1: I was married to an NFL football player, and um, he played in the NFL for eleven years. But we got married in college, and we went to Abilene Christian University in Texas. And um, he was awesome. He was the tallest guy I ever saw in my life, and he <laughs> uh, was—he <laughs> was just um, smart. He was. Uh, I call him a Renaissance man. He loved poetry, and he also loved to play the guitar. So we were set up on a blind date, and when we um, got together, I remember just thinking, um, he is just everything. He was not only smart and not only loved a lot of the things that I did, but he was an athlete. And... um, so he was we, – we married in college, and he was planning on going to dental school and was accepted into all the dental schools in Texas, and that was what we were going to do. I was going to teach. He was going to go to dental school, and, um, you know, we kind of had this dream of the, you know, four kids, the white picket fence, and, and living in the suburbs yeah. after the dental school. <laughs> so anyway – um. We, his senior year, he started getting looks from scouts, and we um, realized that he was going to have an opportunity to play in the NFL. And he sure enough was drafted and um, got a chance to go to the Baltimore Colts. And that was a decision that we decided we might as well go for it, because you can always go to dental school that you cannot always get to play in the NFL. And, of course, that's every boy's dream to do that. And um, so we went to Baltimore. And um, then we went to the Vikings, and then we ended up at the Seattle Seahawks. Yay! So So all of those were good years. You know, we uh, traveled, we made friends, we had, um, you know, of course, he worked all the time. I had tons of fun going around, you know, just seeing the cities that we lived in and traveling a lot. And um, it was, um, you know, those were great years um the end of his career in seattle started noticing just a little bit of change in him because he had a really serious staph infection while we were there uh in the knee and um you know most people would have retired after that because it really was a very uh serious injury he had had other injuries but this was very serious um so um I guess I thought at some point that we would quit after that, but Grant was more determined to continue to play, still wanted to play more, felt like he could play more, and uh, he did end up having um, more years after that and was the starting center for the Seattle Seahawks. So during those years, I started seeing, after the staff infection, more um, just harder to get, I guess, the – energy level was not as, as, as it had been before because he was, you know, really trying to, to practice every day and then come home. And he was a dad at that point and a husband. So there was a lot for him to think about and do, but just uh, more difficult for him to get up and down to go to work. And after games seemed to be more difficult and uh, towards those last years of the NFL, more, Pills coming in just, you know, to get him through the the night to get to the next day because he had a lot of aches and pains after games. And um, I want to backtrack just a little bit and tell you that he did have a concussion in college that we we spoke of because he went out of the game. And um, he specifically talked about the concussion and said that they gave him smelling salts on the sidelines. And I remember thinking, wow, I thought a concussion was a little bit more Uh, serious because I'd had a sister that had fallen off of a car when we were younger and she'd had a concussion and it, and a skull fracture and it put her in the hospital for a week. So um, anyway, the smelling salts and all that, I wasn't really sure about that, but we talked about it. He was, you know, he still played uh, till the end of that game and he never missed any games after that. But we, we talked about the concussion specifically in college. And then in the NFL, we talked about one concussion, and it was uh, before the staff infection that we, you know, we discussed this, that it was a serious one when he was in Denver. We didn't have any cell phones then, so there wasn't any calling the trainer to find out what happened, but he did go out, and um, when he came in, when he came home that night, I remember saying, what happened? Why did you miss that series, you know, and he said, um, well, I got my head hit really bad, and um, he said, somebody helped me to the sidelines, but he said I was seeing all black. He specifically said all black. He specifically said that the noise was excruciatingly loud, and that uh, he did go back in and play some more, and remember seeing very little, and um, had a really bad headache when he got in, and the signs of, you know, a concussion, nauseated, not feeling well. So we spoke of concussions several times. It wasn't all the time, but we did have specifically those conversations about those two concussions. So um, I didn't have any idea of what concussions were uh, as far as the impact that they really had on the brain and that they could cause a lifetime effect and have lifetime consequences. I had no idea at that time that, you know, it could come back and and cause the problem that it did for Grant later. So um, as he retired, um, he pretty much I'm I'm saying that every night after he retired, he was drinking. Um, it became a just something that you know relaxed him in the evenings I think and took the edge off of the pain he had. He had back pain. He had neck pain. He had pain in his fingers he had pain that he spoke of in his toes actually from being stepped on so much um of course the knee was always painful to him so there was a lot of pain that he had in his day-to-day life and um it the drinking became an issue just because i think he he was trying to do that to mask the pain that he had had from all the injuries that he got in football yeah,
0: so um you know, they, and the more ahead, now, just, yeah. the more i hear you know of of nfl players and how like they they pretty much go back in the game the next week even now with with the well, new yeah. concussion protocols they they still are in the game yeah. the next week and you know they, they talk, talk about, about how they got their bell rung
1: yeah yeah And they do that, and I will tell you why Grant did it, and it's the same reason why everyone else, even today, does it, and they do it in high school and all the way, you know, from youth football up, is because you lose your spot. (laughs) And no one wants to lose their spot because they all work really hard for it. And so that's why it's just a continual, you know, not thinking about the long-term effects of anything, just thinking about the way it is, you know, and that's why.
0: Yeah and and you know when if your trainer is telling you you're fine you can get back in the game you're you're trusting them you're believing them you yeah. know um and yeah. I just yeah I just you know my big thing is I just really hope parents listen to these podcasts and understand Me you know too. like I'm not saying don't let your kid play but right I mean very much be aware of what's happening
1: Well here's yeah. what I say we wouldn't let our kids cross the road the street without teaching them to look both ways. So we certainly would want to teach them the dangers of head injuries And, and with the information that we mm-hmm. know now. When Grant played, and even really when both of my sons played, we didn't have the information again uh, that we have now, the scientific information that we have. Right. So we know now that repeated head trauma can cause lifelong brain damage. We know that. Um, we know that the concussions compound that. So if we have that information now, it's surprising to me that, you know, so many parents continue to let their their young ones play or to let anyone play. I don't even think anyone should play football at all besides uh, flag football (laughs) just because of the head injuries. And um, I just always say that if somebody doesn't understand my point, then that means that the people they love are still living. If your loved one is dead, from CTE, um, then it makes a whole different scenario. You see everything differently. Mm -hmm.
0: Or, you know, in my situation, I mean, mine wasn't even sports related. I fell on the ice and landed on my head. And my my world was literally, like, uprooted and... You know, who knows if I will wow. ever return to who I used to be, right? And, I mean, yes. like I remember specifically thinking, gosh, I don't know how football players go back in the game. I remember thinking that because it's like there was I can't no imagine. way I could have, like, done something like that. No, <laughs> so, no, I so, have
1: never had the injury, And, and that's the mention. You know, like a, well, even, the, you know, even the knee injuries and in that. No, just the knee injuries or the, you know, Grant had that serious knee injury and um, he also had surgery on his knees. And I think about how do you do that and then go back in? Because I would, I could never go back in after that.
0: No, (laughs) I'm a wuss. (laughs) um, Me too.
1: Me too. But I do know this, that in high school this year, there are going to be more players that have concussions than knee sprains and fractures that's frightening to me and I just think that there's so many millions of kids that play football that um, probably don't even report some of the symptoms you know I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of kids continue to play and again don't want to lose their spot so they don't even want to talk about the symptoms if they have them
0: Yeah, you know, I have a a friend um, through a local networking group, her son was a high school senior, had a pretty bad concussion on the field, like he was knocked out for about eh, maybe 30 Mm -hmm. seconds. And then he got up and vomited on the field, the trainer pulled him. um, And the coach, you know, the protocols are in place, you have to get approved by a specific doctor to get returned to play. Mm -hmm. And the doctor cleared the kid and the mom was like, no, no he is not playing, he is not okay, Mm -mm. he's not
1: acting like
0: himself. And the kid and the coach, everybody was pissed at her, but she's like, no, you're not going back in.
1: Well, I think that's what a lot of the trainers, I think a lot of the trainers have a lot of, you know, issues. They want the the players to play, but there's a protocol, and, and they know what it is, and they try to do the right thing, I think, now. But I think even a lot of parents, it sounds like your friend was not pressuring, but I think even some of the parents are pressuring for their kids to go back out and play again. So it's just, you know, it's just mm-hmm. knowledge and trying to gain uh, knowledge of what's going on in the world now. And the, the evidence that we have, just look at it. That's all I'm saying. If, if every parent would just look at the evidence and um, at least it be on their radar, that's what I'm asking. I think that it's so important.
0: Yeah, and I say, you know, especially for, like, a little bit younger kids, you know your kid best. So if they're not acting themselves, whether they seem fuzzy or foggy or, right. like, they're running into things, you know, you know your kid best. So you need to yes. be – you're the parent. You need to be yeah. the judge of whether or not they should return to play. So, yeah, yeah just that awareness.
1: I do think that eventually it oh, needs to be. Keep going. I'm sorry. No, I was just, I, I just going to say, I do hope for everyone's sake that eventually there's some sort of warning put on the helmet. We have a warning on cigarette labels that say it can cause cancer and not every person that smokes is going to get cancer, but why would you want um, some sort of label on the helmet that says this can cause CTE? Oh. I think that that, I think Mm -hmm. eventually we're going to need to do something like that. I hope something like that happens. And I definitely hope that sooner or later, at least parents have to sign off on some sort of waiver saying that they're aware of what could happen to their child.
0: Right. Yes. Um, So, you know, you, you, you got married and he played for, was it eight seasons? No, he played for 11 seasons, 11 seasons. Um, yeah. and when, you know, there's, there's a, there's a chapter in your book where he talks after his, I believe it was after his very last game playing for Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. and he gave you a ring for your anniversary. Yes. yes. And you opened it and you were like, Oh, Thanks. You gave me the same ring mm-hmm. last year, yeah. whatever anniversary it yeah. was. And that yeah. was just such a powerful <laughs> moment in that book. Like, Good. yeah. I'm glad like, that you so felt that way. Can you kind of walk us through that? Like how you felt like, was yeah. that when you first started to know something wasn't right? It was, it, it
1: was one of the pieces that I started putting together of the puzzle Um, again the medication and the drinking had had started happening and it wasn't his normal because um, that wasn't his normal behavior so I had kind of been going hmm again not having any other stories nobody else to to talk to about it not thinking that maybe this was a common thread now that we know about brain injury Um, and then when he gave me the ring and I opened it up and I said, you, you gave me the same ring last year, you know, and he said, I did. And I said, yes. He said, is it a little bit different even? And I said, no, it's exactly the same ring. So I didn't, I just remember thinking to myself, Hmm. I mean, I didn't even really know. I couldn't comprehend the fact that that he'd done that because he's so smart again, so super smart. Um, was such an intelligent football player, knew everything about every player, everything that every player was supposed to do. Grant just, he was so smart. He knew every, he knew so much. And to me, those were little slips that I thought were very unusual. And yes, it was a, a compounding, I think, of just um, slip-ups that started happening with him. hmm uh-huh. You know,
0: and you, you talk about how he turned the alcohol and prescription pills. And I see this being fairly common in the brain injury world where people don't know how to deal with it. You know, like maybe he was uh-huh. losing his memory more than you even knew. And it was oh, freaking awesome. him out. Yes. And so, yes. yeah. And so he was turning uh-huh. to those other sources to, to drown it Definitely. and I see that Definitely. happen so often well and I can and I, the alcohol I and the drugs exactly and the alcohol and the drugs they they don't help the brain you know they hinder it from healing so he's only damaging yeah. it even more and it's such yeah. a horrible cycle to see someone get into it is
1: It is. And one of the lines that he used to say to me over and over again, and now I get it. It, I didn't get it years ago. He would say to me on a pretty regular basis, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. And I remember being kind of flippant and saying, well, you don't have any idea what I'm dealing with. So, you know, now I understand that he was talking about, he didn't he was talking about himself and the feelings inside that he was feeling, possibly the pain that he was having, because it's really hard to separate the c t e symptoms, the alcohol symptoms, the brain injury, you know all of it's just parallel, like you say,
0: mhm, yeah, you know, and just reading your book and just. Some of the things, it's like, oh, man. And, you know, and back then we didn't know hardly anything. No one talked about brain injury. I mean, they they barely even know about it now. I know. (laughs) So I can only imagine how he
1: must have felt. Terrible. And, you know, I even say we didn't have Google. We Google everything now. We couldn't Google anything back then. At least, you know, (laughs) now you can go to the computer and say, I have this symptom or I have that symptom. And so I do think that towards the end of his life that he was looking at that because he'd heard uh, more evidence of head injuries. Because I remember him talking to me about Mike Webster and Junior Sayaw
0: and Mm him saying,
1: you know, I wonder if this has anything to do with what's happened to me. And so, um, you know, I know that that it was it was something that he was beginning to think about more and more.
0: Yeah, and and given that he played center, I mean, like his job was to get tackled like every single play he played. You know, well, not and only that, but just so, his I mean, had I guess, to be mashed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and so it's like he takes even more hits than like, you know, the average yeah. player in a game. So yeah. I just, oh. So I, I always <laughs> say he just
1: didn't have a chance. I mean, really, when you play uh, for as many years as he played and played the positions that he played, um, I don't know how you get out of that and you can be okay with what I know now about brain injury. Mm-hmm.
0: And what was the line, there, there's a quote that you had of him um, Yes, you know when he when he knew that he was dying. Um, and there's a yes. quote that he had. Yeah, um, can you, he, I can't remember it. Can you recite well, it? Like yes. what he? Yes.
1: The he conversation you ever, had. Yeah, we had this. We had a conversation, and again, you know, at the end, it was pretty hard to have a conversation with him. But if you I didn't know if he had been drinking or exactly what all was going on with him, because it, at the end of his life, you know, it was just hard to ever find him ever being seeming normal. And so every now and then we would have these conversations that would make sense. And he he said to me, you know, if I'd only known that what I love the most would end up killing me and taking away everything I loved, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have ever done it. So the way he said it in the context talking about football and about, you know, his injuries, um, I think that he meant football, you know, definitely. If he'd known that football was going to take away everything he loved, because there's no doubt that he loved our family. There's no doubt that he loved me. Um, But in the end, the injuries that he suffered from football took everything away from him, everything. Mentally, physically, everything.
0: Yeah. And that had to have just been so heartbreaking to watch too. And just yes. knowing there was nothing you could do. And you still really didn't even understand what was happening. Because it no. was so after his death that you found out yes. that he had CTE.
1: Yes. And I kept thinking, you know, he was going to come back. Even after the first time he went to rehab, I was optimistic thinking, "Okay, he's going to get now we know what he's got, and he's going to get better." And he's going to because I thought that he was the strongest, toughest, smartest, you know, that, that that he could he could do anything, and I just knew that once he got a grip on what was causing the problem, he would be able to get sober but i don 't know if you can get sober and have a brain injury like he had i don 't know if that's possible after you come, right. after you go have so many years of drinking like he'd already had so um yeah, it's excruciating when you think about the pain he must have been in and me not understanding. listen, I admit my failures. I had tons of them um i i I know that you know i I did yell and scream at him about his sobriety and upset that I would come home from work and he would already be drunk at four o'clock in the afternoon. And so, um, it's, it was frustrating to me. I didn't know what was happening to him. So it was just a chain reaction of terrible, um, feelings that we started having for each other because I couldn't understand him and he couldn't understand me. Really sad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. heartbreaking. And so, Cindy, what, what prompted you to, to want to write this book? Well, after I started looking
1: at CTE and realizing what it was, and I remember one day looking at the Mayo Clinic symptoms of CTE, and it was um, shocking to me when I looked at all the symptoms and realized that my journals and my thoughts in my life coincided with the things with the CTE symptoms, I guess you would say. Um and, and Grant's behavior. It explained so much to me and made me um feel so I I had been feeling terribly guilty and I still do have a lot of guilt, but it just helped me process my guilt a little bit more when I understood what the CTE symptoms were, and it made me understand what had happened so much more. Um, I'm just going to tell you a few Mm -hmm. of them, but one of them was just difficulty thinking and impulsive behavior, depression, short-term memory loss, difficulty planning and carrying out little tasks. You know, sometimes just to do his expense reports for work were really overwhelming for him. He just couldn't get it together to do a lot. Um, just emotional instability. You know, he would be not happy with me about certain things. And he had always just been an easygoing guy, you know, just, it was just a personality change to me over the years. Substance abuse, you know, suicidal thoughts, irritability, aggression, speech difficulties. There was one point in, in all of this that he had trouble just talking. He would Stammer and just say things over and over and over again. I didn't understand that. Um, you know, motor, even motor impairment. At one point, he was kind of like throwing a foot when he would walk. You know, just walking, and um, it would be yeah. hard for him. And and all of those things just started coming together for me. And. I I thought, okay, I can lay here in my bed in my apartment at the time, and I could be sad the rest of my life thinking, okay, I should have done something. Could I have done something? I know that I couldn't have. I know nothing would have changed the CTE, but um, just feeling sorry for myself, feeling sorry for myself, and um, I decided – I read a book, actually. I read a book um, about Lauren Scruggs, Still Lolo, that she was written by Marcus Brotherman. And she's a, a girl that accidentally stepped in front of a plane propeller and got it, – it cut her face and cut her arm off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read her book. So I yeah. read her book, and it took a terrible tragedy and turned it in at the end, you know, into how she had survived the tragedy. Not not trying to put myself in her spot, but I'm just saying I looked at the whole picture and thought yeah. maybe this would be something that could help somebody else if I told this story. So that's really what I'm Absolutely. hoping that I do <laughs> is help somebody else um, that's gone through a dark period in their life to see that um, there is always something you can do. Um, I, I said the other day, you may know Adam Walsh's dad created America's Most Wanted because. What else do you do when your Uh child is murdered, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, your child is murdered and decapitated, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And uh, I felt like that my life had been just blown apart. And so what else is there to do but get on the train and say, I'm going to start warning people
0: about what killed my loved one. Well, and Cindy, I'm so sorry, but we only have one minute left. <laughs> just got the timer on. Yeah. <laughs> but, Cindy, thank you so much for being thank here you. and sharing your story. And thank I will you. have a link to your book on Amazon um, in the show awesome. notes so our listeners awesome. can find your book. I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. Thank you, I mean. Um, so thank, thank you, you so much for sharing yes. and bringing awareness to CTE and brain injury and thank thank you you everyone for listening Um, I hope you enjoyed today's show and thanks again to our episode sponsor MFNC brain rehabilitation you can find them online at mnconcussion.com